Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, who was faithful for over 60 years in teaching the Word of God throughout the Northwest and Canada. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word radio Bible study. Our name, the Unchanging Word, is committed to the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His eternal Word always has been and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Our study resumes in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, with the Lord's instructions on how to pray. Dr. Mitchell continues with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. This is a model prayer which starts with the personal relationship to God the Father. And this prayer shows three things with respect to God and three things with respect to man. And Dr. Mitchell will bring these out in detail. He will speak of man's temporal dependence for daily bread, spiritual restoration by the forgiveness of sins, and spiritual preservation from evil and the evil one and his power. Dr. Mitchell then gives us a short portion of Luke, which we'll get into in our next lesson, having to do with the persistent friend. This lesson follows as an encouragement to keep on praying and not to give up. Let's join Dr. Mitchell here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Again, it is our great joy and delight to be with you, and we're following through studies in the Gospel through Luke. Now we're in the 11th chapter of the Gospel through Luke, and we are dealing with the question of the Lord teaching, instructing his own disciples in chapter 11, 1 to 13. And the great subject before us is prayer. And in the first verse, we have where the disciples ask the Lord Jesus to teach them how to pray. And I'm repeating this. I'm sure that these disciples knew something about praying because they were Orthodox Jews. But there was something about our Savior's praying that captivated them with the result that, Lord, you teach us. We want to pray just the way you pray. We want to pray just the way you pray. By the way, isn't it true sometimes you hear people praying and you wait, my, I wish I could pray like that. I don't mean the amount of words. I mean the, the depth of, of love and devotion in a heart that comes like a child to its father with the requests and with worship and with praise. So we have it here. So you have in verses 1 to 4 the model prayer. The model prayer. This is the teaching, the model prayer. And the very first thing which we were closing with in our last lesson was personal relationship. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. The great purpose in prayer and the great passion in prayer is toward God first, and then that his will may be accomplished and the heart of the Lord satisfied. 
And again, I press the point, all are not the children of God. I'm well aware of this, this doctrine of the common fatherhood of God and the common brotherhood of man. May I say Jesus did not teach that nor believe that. I remind myself of John chapter 8, where he said to the religious leaders of Israel, remember, these were priests and Pharisees and scribes. And he said to them, when they were manifesting their opposition to him, he said, you, when they said, God is our father, he said, if God were your father, you'd believe me, but you are of your father, the devil. But we're Abraham's children. Fleshly relationship doesn't make you a child of God even though you may claim Abraham to be your father. In fact, our Lord said, I know you are Abraham's seed, but if you were Abraham's children, you'd believe me. I'm quoting John chapter 8. So there, there has to be a relationship established before you can say our father. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that God is very gracious, that any hungry heart coming to God, whatever title he may call God, that is, he may, he may call him God, he may call him Lord, but as he comes into the presence of God with a hungry heart, God's going to meet the need of the heart. God will never turn away a hungry heart. But it is precious to be able to say, he's my father, and I'm his child. And we're going to see later on in the chapter how, how God encourages us to come as children to a loving father. Now let's, let's go down into the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is worship to our Father. And then you have three things about that. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. So we have three things with respect to the Father. First of all, there must be reverence. There must be reverence. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It is reverence that God is absolute in holiness, absolutely righteous, and as such it calls for worship. He's God. He's a holy, righteous, omnipotent God. And we as creatures, especially we who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, his children, we must recognize him as the object of worship, of praise and thanksgiving. And sometimes I'm going to be very frank with you. Sometimes I've heard people praying and I shrink inside of me because of the lack of reverence and worship as they come in the presence of God. Remember, the very first thing was, hallowed be thy name. And the second thing was his rule, thy kingdom come. Here you have the sovereignty of God recognized. Thy kingdom come. The great yearning for the time when the kingdom of God would be God ruling over the earth, over individuals, over nations, when his rule would be acknowledged on earth. And ever since Adam's day, the world has never recognized God's rule. But thank God the time is coming when his kingdom will be established. You remember even the dying thief said to Jesus on the cross, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Ah, there's a kingdom going to be set up. And the Lord Jesus is going to rule in righteousness. So the great cry is, after worship and praise and thanksgiving, thy kingdom come. God is sovereign. And we recognize his sovereignty. In these days when there's so much international chaos, 
and fear and trouble. People do not know what the world's coming to. In these days of permissiveness and, and shall I say, ugliness and lawlessness, we long for the day when our Savior will come and set things in right, and there cannot be a righteous kingdom without one who is righteous. And as Jeremiah says, in that day we will call him the Lord, our righteousness. Remember that, will you? And the third thing, he calls for obedience toward God. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Here is a desire that men and women will be obedient to him. So you have, in this first part of the prayer, half of it is toward God. Reverence, rule, and obedience. And when I think of our Savior, remember, he could say in the 40th Psalm, it is written in the volume of the book, I delight to do thy will, O my God, for thy word is in my heart. Or you take John 8, 29, Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. And time would fill me to go into Hebrews chapter 10, from verses 5 to 10, where the very purpose of our Lord's coming was the will of his Father. He came in the will of his Father. That's why as a boy 12 years of age, in Luke chapter 2, he could say to Mary, Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? So we have these three things with respect to our relationship to God in prayer. Now the next three have to do with us, ourselves. You have three things. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now here we have, here we have this question before us. First of all, dependence. We, we are dependent upon God for our temporal needs. These are the things we, we need today. And we ask the Father, knowing that he has the authority and power to meet our need. Give us day by day our daily bread. And you know, David could write in the Psalms, I have never yet, said he, I have never yet seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. And the annals of missionaries and of Christians down through the centuries bear testimony to the fact of a faithful God in meeting the needs of his people. So you have our temporal needs. First of all, give us day by day our daily bread. Now the second one is, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Here's the question of restoration to fellowship. And remember, we're talking to our Father. And, and, and we, need, we need to be cleansed from sin. Now, he's talking to his people, and he's dealing here with the question of sin for his people. And there can be no fellowship with the Father when there is sin between. There must be confession before there can be forgiveness. I'm talking about his people. I'm talking about those who can say, our Father. He's not telling us here how to be saved. Forgiveness through the cross is offered to the sinner. Like Paul could say in Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 7, in whom we have redemption, speaking of our Savior, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Or in Ephesians 
Uh, we are to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And likewise, in 1 John 2.12, you know that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. But when it comes to fellowship, and this is what I believe our Lord is talking about, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. There must be that reciprocal work in our hearts. If I want God to forgive me and restore me to fellowship with my Father, and I have sinned against someone else, I ought to straighten that out. I believe in 1 John 1, 9 with my whole heart. Well, let's take 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and confession, my friend, um, carries with it that you're sorry for the thing you've done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here you have this question of forgiveness. So we have, first of all, manward dependence upon God for our temporal needs. Secondly, we need restoration because of failure. And I repeat it, there can be no fellowship with God without the confession of our failures, of our sins. I wonder if I should stop here a minute. There seems to be an attitude. I wouldn't say a doctrine, but there seems to be an attitude. Well, what I've done is not so bad after all. In fact, we are living in a very permissive society. And sin is no longer looked upon as sin. If everybody's doing it, then of course it can't be sin. And I'm sorry to say that this philosophy of life has, has swept over even among evangelical Christians. My friend, sin is sin. God is still righteous. I don't care how much you alibi what you've done. It doesn't affect the righteous, holy character of God. And you can't have fellowship with God with sin between. And what God labels sin, you better label sin. Let me remind you again that when you minimize sin, you minimize the work of our Savior on the cross. I'm pressing this to your heart because I fear so much today there is a great deal of laxity among God's people with respect to things we do. And again, I say to you that sin is sin. And here we have it. And for, we ask him to forgive us our sins. But for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Remember our Lord aptly put it one day, if you've got something against your brother, leave the altar and go and make it right with your brother and then come back to the altar and confess it to God. Oh, I wish I could make it clear to your mind and heart. Christians, we dishonor the Savior when we live our lives out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus. You, you and I can't afford to live one day out of fellowship with him. You may, you may try and, and rationalize everything you do, but I'll tell you very frankly, very frankly, you can't live in fellowship with God with things between and what he wants you to do is to come, confess your son, and there'll be restoration to fellowship. But our Lord here in his moral prayer tells us 
It's also connected with the ones against whom we have sinned or who have sinned against us and forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And then the last one is preservation. And lead us not or do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now here he looks into the future. In the past, our past needs or our present needs, I should say, give us day by day our daily bread. And the things in the past that we've done, we need forgiveness. Now concern the future. Now bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The need for preservation from sin, from the evil one, to be kept from Satan's power. You remember our Lord, our Lord prayed for this. If I were to go back to John chapter 17, where our Lord prayed to his father when he was praying for his believers, for his children, he prayed for our preservation because we were in the world and he prayed we might be delivered from the prince of this age, from this world and its God. Remember that Satan is still the prince of this world, as John 12, 14, and 16 declare. And he's the god of this age, as 2 Corinthians 4 declares. And, and he's a real person. And we need daily, daily deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I'll tell you, we need the power of God to keep us from the subtleties of Satan. It's so subtle. And remember that Satan has had 6,000 years of deceiving people. And you're no match for him. You're no match for him. You better stay in the word of God. As the 119th Psalm says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against all the fiery darts of the wicked and against the wiles of the devil. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you continually. And in John 17, he's praying you might be delivered, kept from the evil one. So in this model prayer, we have our, our daily need for bread, the need for daily mercy, and the need for daily deliverance. I'm talking here now about manward. Now let me review just for a moment. I want this to be clear because I think most of you can close your eyes without opening a Bible and quote the Lord's Prayer. But as have it dawned upon you what the Lord Jesus was doing, he was teaching his disciples how to pray. And the very first thing is the relationship to our Father, and it calls for the Father that we should be, be in reverence before him. This calls for worship. And then his rule, God's rule, thy kingdom come. We recognize his sovereignty. That the time is going to come when our Lord will reign from one end of the earth to the other. And we pray that the Lord will grant to us obedience. Uh, that his will may be done not only among the nations, but in each one of us personally. Not only his will in the church and his will in Israel and his will among the nations, but among us individually as his children. And then the last half of the prayer is manward. Uh, concerning our temporal needs, give us our daily bread. We're dependent upon him for it to restore us uh, because we need that restoration for fellowship. This is our spiritual need. And then preservation 
bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I repeat it again, my friend, we can't live a day out of fellowship with God. We're surrounded by three great implacable enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they never let up. Oh, I'm telling you, Christians, and I include myself, we can't afford to live one day out of fellowship with him. He'll give us our daily bread. He grants us daily mercy. He's here to deliver us day by day from all the subtleties of the world, the subtleties of hell, and from the weakness of the flesh. This is his, this is the model prayer. So the next time you pray this, whether you repeat it in church in a morning service or at home, whatever you do, this is the model prayer. And we have a responsibility to God, a responsibility in our own hearts before him, our responsibility to others, and then to be kept from the powers of the enemy. Now he illustrates this question of prayer in verses 5 to 8. And here you have the story of the importune prayer. And I would suggest we read Luke chapter 18, the first verse. Now here you have the illustration of what he's talking about. And following that, we have the encouragement with respect to praying. And now it's too late for me to go further into this. But I do wish you would read and reread the precious word of God and saturate your mind with this gospel through Luke and be ready to take up with us in our next lesson how he illustrates it and how he encourages us in our prayer life. I'm taking time on this because I believe it's so needful today. And the Lord wonderfully bless you. And won't you start even today to walk with the Savior? And if you're not a Christian, my friend, he wants to be your father in real, real truth. He wants you to be his child. You take John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and you act upon that and receive the Savior. So you can really bow down before the eternal God and call him my father, my father, Abba, Father. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Give us the
We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. You may write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.